This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network, presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to the Art of War podcast, where we discuss strategy and tactics with popular players and their lists. Today we have Frankie G and Papa talking about the Gene Stealer cult. And in this episode, part two, we go into the nitty gritty strategy and tactics of his list. I'm John. And I'm Nick. And our special guest is Frankie. Say hi, Frankie. Hey guys. All right. Well, hopefully you're all tuned in for part one where you got uh, to go through the list. We're not going to rehash that. You should just check out that podcast. It goes through all the different list choices, uh, different equipment options, blah, 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 all that fun stuff. Um, in, this li- in this discussion, we're actually going to go through and how to play the list. And I'm kind of excited to hear that. So, Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm excited to go over it. Uh, Gene Star Colt, like I was saying, is a fun army. And uh, I think the missions is where the... The true strategy comes into play. So So one of the things I do in my coaching services is I kind of categorize armies as armies that play against your opponent and try to table them and worry about the mission later, or play the mission and try to do that irrespective of what your opponent's doing. Where do you think Gene Steer Cult lies in that? Uh, Gene Steer Cult is definitely an army that plays to the mission. Um, Of course, you have those matchups where, uh, depending on what you're playing with, like the Aberrants or the Acolytes or whatever, will be able to table your opponent, but um, I've found in most of my games, it's not something that happens too often. Right, so you think you're a much more uh, play-the-mission kind of army, especially with the bike variation that you run? Definitely, yeah. I I would lean more towards the mission. Um, You're always going to be fighting out for those points. Um, I have found that uh, with the bikes on the table, it's very rare that uh, I get tabled, so... um, that's always nice. You're able to pick some end game missions and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but, but without the aberrants, uh, like the aberrants are an incredible unit that will pick up four or five units by themselves. Um, not having those units in there, I would say my list is less likely to table its opponents. But would you would you say your trade off is you're more aggressive on scenario than typical Gene Steeler cult lists? Yeah, and I'm I'm able to stay around. I'm able to control the board. I think longer than a lot of uh, Gene Stiller cult armies are able to. Yeah, so I guess you're trading brute force with flexibility and just durability. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would I would 100% agree with that. So, what secondaries do you generally pick in your missions for ITC? Um, so, I mean, recon is almost an auto take with I think any iteration of a Gene Stiller cult army. Uh, your units are so fast, you can deep strike. Any unit in your army can uh, essentially deep strike with Cult Ambush. Um, you're able to summon units. Uh, you're able to put units back into reserves. So I think that's a that's one that I think you'll see most Gene Stealer Cult players picking. Um, another one is, uh, uh, depending on what you're playing against, of course, Reaper's usually pretty good because you're going to be killing a lot of units. 
Behind Enemy Lines is another one that's fairly easy with Gene's Thur Cult. You deep strike one of your characters into your opponent's backfield and just sit behind a building or something like that and get some points. Um, or your bike units, since they're so fast, you can put them in the enemy deployment zone and just start racking up those points quick. Um, ground control is also another one that's pretty easy with my army just because of the staying power. I'm able to control objectives at the end of the table um, pretty easily. Um, and then one that I started taking against certain matchups is engineers. Uh, making one of your uh, Brood Brother squads an engineer or uh, bike squad an engineer isn't a bad call, um, especially because you're able to hold those objectives. And if somebody wants to shoot at those units, you're like, all right, sure, go for it. <laughs> Um, but that's that's one that I don't take all that often. It really depends on the firepower of my opponent. It's really interesting. I was thinking uh, when you mentioned engineers, I was going to ask you, do you make your bikes engineers ever? And you said you would sometimes make one unit engineer. Do you find you can afford to not miss the firepower or the potential assault with that? Obviously, it's a much more durable engineer unit, so that's got its perks too. Yeah, I found... Uh, so. A lot of times I'll make the one that only has two mining lasers, the engineers, um, if I am going to make one, the engineers. And uh, losing out on their shotguns, because rarely is a shotgun going to do that much damage. Now, if you're playing guard screens or grot screens, then yeah, those shotguns are key. But um, against certain matchups like Custodes or something, you're like, okay, I don't, I don't care about my shotgun shooting. So I'll just sit back here and hold this objective. You have to kill this unit, otherwise I'm going to be getting points. Right. Um, it's... But yeah, it is definitely matchup dependent because there are some armies that'll just kill your engineers like instantly so yeah that must really be nice to have the luxury of playing so many different of the stand there objectives in uh, itc because sometimes you know lists are designed to deny you the ability to get points by killing their stuff um so it seems like your list just has tons of options for secondaries just depending that that don't rely on you killing anything yeah yeah definitely um i mean it it depends too like if you're playing like a chaos player that has like a million hqs then yeah you'll probably go with headhunter um especially the kelamorphs your sniper rifle um and eventually you'll get through their screen and kill those characters fairly easily um so it it, it has a lot of flexibility in it um secondaries are that's one of the hardest things for players to pick in the itc missions um, and that's really where you'll see um, good players excel or they're picking better secondaries than their opponents are. Because um, if you're picking better secondaries, you may be able to lose on the primary and win because you won, uh, you got more secondary points. Um, and you're able to deny your opponent secondary points by either hiding units or keeping units in reserve. Because um, a lot of people will go after Reaper against Gene Steer or Colt, which isn't a bad call. It's, it's usually pretty easy, especially with my list. Um, but in those matchups, if somebody picks Reaper, you go, okay, I'm going to deep strike all my bike squads. Um, I'll put one of my brood brother squads into reserve and you could hold those units off for a long time and uh, deny your opponent quite a few points. Yeah. So is, I, I kind of do this with my gray knights. A lot of times I don't, I'll go second and I won't deep strike anything until turn three, mm -hmm. which really only gives my opponents three turns to kill my stuff. Um, yeah. 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 No, that's huge. And that's, uh, that's where a lot of the strategy comes into, uh, 40k and especially with jeans they're cold um it's just picking your fights right if i can win on this primary then my second denying you secondary points isn't that big of a deal because i'll probably get all mine um if i can't beat you on the primary because you're just too resilient or you're going to take up too much of the board because you're playing orcs or something like that yeah okay i have to concentrate on denying you secondary points so all right. Well, one of the ways I think that makes sense to maybe break down this discussion is maybe we should just go through some matchups. Yeah. And I think 
the most value probably starts with your hardest matchups. Um, so what do you think is the most difficult matchup or the one that gives you the most trouble? Yeah, I'd honestly say uh, the hardest matchup would be uh, pure um, Custodes. So, you know, three of those Cladius tanks, uh, some biker units. Um, that's probably going to be one of the harder matchups. Um, so, yeah, I'd say we'd start with that. Is it... Is it the firepower coupled with the difficulty to charge them because of the minus two entangle foot that you think is so yeah, hard and then to deal the with? swooping dive like they have so many like counterattack things that they can do um, that are just brutal. And if you declare a charge on the bikes, they can uh, they just have so many shots that they're going to be killing a lot of your a lot of my acolytes, which acolytes are so easy to kill. <laughs> if they get two bolter shots through, that's probably two dead acolytes. So. It's, it's never a good sign. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that that's probably the toughest matchup with my list. So what, um, because, yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask, uh, what are some ways you approach that game, then, if it's so difficult? Like, what are things you look out for and typically do? Yeah, the, in those matchups, it's really terrain dependent. If I have a lot of uh, terrain that I can hide uh, behind or in, um, I'll have a pretty good game, like play to the mission, grab those objectives, because luckily the Custodes armies struggle with objectives. Um, they're not able to grab that many. Um, the downside is the resilience of the bikes uh, almost goes away in that matchup because those Caladiuses are able to shoot through them super easily, especially if they're taking uh, Valdor. Again, the reroll ones to hit, reroll ones to wound, your bikes are just dying left and right. So you'll usually, I'll usually only have my bikes for two, three turns um, before they're all gone. Um, really? So, it's not that yeah. much firepower? Yeah, so I'm usually not able to depend on them grabbing the objectives, so then... And those brood brothers come into play. They have to run up the table, grab some objectives. I have to hope my acolytes can uh, whittle down some of the firepower, take out a couple tanks paired up with the Kelomorphs. Um, if I'm able to take out a couple of those tanks, I'm, I'm sitting pretty. If I fail some key charges, I'm not going to do very well. <laughs> so is, is that a scenario where you would try to ambush charge even with your 7-inch rerollable and just make it as much as possible? Yeah, exactly. So in that... In that matchup, a lot of times uh, you'll you'll of course use the uh, perfect ambush, try to get as close as possible, stay 12 inches away from a guy that can throw a tangle foot if you can, um, and then go for a much easier charge. Granted, the minus two is not a, not a given, um, but since I am a forearmed emperor and I have a clamavis, it's just a straight charge with a reroll. So I'll bank on the, that unit making it, and then hopefully one of my other units with a uh, nine-inch rerollable charge will make it. So it sounds to me like in this particular matchup, you probably want to go second, right? Um, yeah, probably second against that just to uh, hopefully deny some shots. Hopefully you can hide some of your units. Um, you do lose out on a little bit of board control, but I, most Custodes players aren't going to run at you, so uh, you don't lose out on too much. Um, but yeah, I would probably want to go second, so then you have yeah. the last chance to jump on those objectives, uh, deep strike in some units that you had in reserve, or uh, whatever you need to get those secondary points. And you always know how much you have to kill to, you know, tie kit, who kills more this battle round, or exceed who kills more this battle round, especially if they're running like little guard squads, like a minimum battalion to guard or admech or something. Uh, you don't have those guys forever to kill, but you can kill them very strategically at your leisure to try to keep the scoreboard in your favor exactly and that's that's a that's a big pro tip right there like going second uh, versus a list that you feel like you're uh, outmatched on going second is huge because then 
if they have a bad turn of shooting, they only kill one unit. You're like, okay, now's my chance. I can get kill more. I've been keeping that guard squad alive for this moment. Kill the guard squad, kill the unit that you've been whittling down. Uh, get the kill more, get those extra points. Um, that was that's a, that's a pro tip there, Nick. Really Thanks, good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Go ahead, John. So I was going to say, like, um, so it looks to me like you're probably more advantaged in missions that have multiple objectives and less advantaged in missions that are, you know, like the mission that has three objectives. What is that? Two or three? I can't remember which one it is. Yeah, mission two. Cut to the heart. You would know them by name. I have the mission <laughs> sheet open. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um, do you change your strategy at all if there's lots of objectives versus just? A oh few? yeah, definitely. Um, it's like I was talking about earlier. Um, a lot of times in the missions that don't have as many objectives, you're probably going to. Uh, maybe lose the primary or not win the primary by as many points as you were expecting to. Um, so in those missions, those are the ones that you'll deny the secondaries where you can. So uh, this guy picked headhunter, so I'm not going to sacrifice any characters. They're all going to stay behind their screens. They're all going to stay within range of um, unquestionable loyalty. Uh, in those matchups, you'll just deny as many secondary points as you can. So then you can win the mission. Um, Cool. And, yeah. and we're still talking about this custodies matchup, right? We're trying to really explore that. Yeah. So in that map. Yeah, definitely. Like yeah. the, the mm -hmm. three objective versus custodies is going to be a very challenging game for my army. Um, it'll come down to if I make those charges, if I'm able to kill those Caladius tanks, if I'm able to get a, a, off a of mind control on a Caladius, that's huge. Um, if the Patriarchs are going to be some of the key players in that matchup. Because once they get up there, they can actually charge in, do some damage. You can take the no overwatch uh, stratagem or uh, uh, relic on the uh, sniper guy. He can fly up 14 inches, charge into one of those tanks to ignore the overwatch or the bikes, and then have your close combat units charge in and kill it. So, um, yeah, you're going to have to play less to the primary and more to the secondaries in that matchup. So in that matchup, because custodies are so hard to kill, is that one where you might take more of the stand-around objectives? Like... Uh, behind enemy lines or recon obviously you're going to take probably in every game i would imagine yeah you'll definitely take recon in that matchup uh marked for death is a good one against custodes um uh, behind enemy lines is definitely a good one so against custodes um typically the list is like three caladiuses and maybe a couple other big things like a talmon or something uh, yeah or they outline in some wyverns or something like that is that a game where you would take big game hunter assuming they get it all up um or no because that's not really feasible do you think i wouldn't go for it and if you do go for it just count on getting two or three points um don't go f don't you just know you're probably not going to max it out um in that matchup, that's might be that would probably be one of the ones that I would go with engineers, because uh, they don't have a lot of no look shooting, so you're able to put an engineer squad on an objective and probably get four points. Um, so that would be one of the key matchups where you would probably go for engineers. Um, <clears throat> ground control, like uh, Nick and I were talking before this, uh, for part two here, ground control is a great one for Gene Star Colt, especially if you're able to put one of those units back into reserve um, on turn one. And to where they can deep strike down on turn six and grab. Can you just explain how that works for some people who may not be familiar? Yeah, so the the way it works with uh, reserves is they have to be deployed on the table by turn three, right? End of turn yeah. three. Mm -hmm. um, if they're not, they're destroyed. Uh, Gene Stiller Colt, when you're deployed in a blip, which is uh, what is that underground? 
Uh, no, underground is the deep strike. Blip is a uh, uh, cult ambush. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're deployed in cult ambush, which is a little blip on the table, um, you're deployed on the table um, for all rules purposes. So uh, technically, they've already been deployed by turn three. You use a stratagem to, I think it's called back in the shadow, or no, 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 it's return to the shadows. Return to the shadows, and then you're able to put three of your blips back into reserve. But since they were already counted as being deployed on the table, they can come in on turn six, which is huge. Um, Gene Cult, to my knowledge, is like one of the only armies that can do that. So Yeah, I think They're it's not the Gene Cult and Swooping Hawks would be the only There you ones. go, Swooping Hawks, yeah. yeah. And Gene Sierra Cult, every turn, can put another unit back into reserve. Granted, they have to come down the following turn, but you could do that on turn five if you have a unit out of position. So, Absolutely. Do you ever do that on your bikes? Um, I've done it on the bikes like once, um, and it was to get me a... I think it was behind enemy lines because I, I was having a hard time getting across the table. I was like, all right, fine. Jumped them up into reserve. Next turn, deep struck down like in the corner of their deployment zone. I was like, here we go. <laughs> now I'll get some points. Yeah. <laughs> That's not something you hear often from Gene Sealer Cole. I'm having a hard time getting in their deployment zone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was weird. It was just this weird game. And I was like, what is going on? All right, forget it. I'll put them in reserve. <laughs> So aside from Custodes, are there any matchups you think are uh, troublesome for you? Or do you want to just go through your matchups in general and explain how you'd approach like an Eldar army, a Guard army, a Chaos army? Yeah, I mean, uh, Eldar flyers, like we um, were talking about. Before, oh. I'm sorry, just real quick, before we go off, I, one question I did want to ask. Is there specific psychic powers that you select because it's the Custodes? Or do you have a general go-to for all of your psychics? Um, it's it's a general go-to, but uh, in that matchup, mind control is... You'll take mind control on both Patriarchs in that matchup. Because um, if either of them get within 12 inches of one of those Cladiuses, you'll do a lot of damage. So um, mind control is huge uh, in that matchup. And that really and truly mind control is a huge power in a lot of matchups. Like against Knights, if you can take over a Knight for a turn, it is bad news for your opponent. Yeah. Uh, at ATC, uh, not to steal a show, but I have to steal yeah. a story. At yeah, ATC, when I was playing against your team, Frankie, uh, Team Zero Comp, mm -hmm. I was playing Junior and his Knight Army, and yeah. I mind-controlled his Valiant, and I shot the Harpoon at another Knight and did 13 damage. Brutal, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was the happiest little boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I had a similar story at ATC. I, I took over a Knight Crusader. I was able to kill uh, two Caladius on that turn. I was like, sweet. <laughs> Thanks, sir. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah um, that's a huge power that you want to take. Aside from uh, powers, Gene Sir Cult's also very malleable in their Warlord traits because they can have three of them. And uh, Relics, is there go-tos that you normally take or are there ones that you interchange matchup depending? And what would you take for Custodes specifically? Yeah, so the, uh, the main Warlord trait that I take is on my main Patriarch and I take a three-inch... Three inches added to his aura for the fearless. Um, I really like that. The nine inches is huge. Uh, helps out a ton. Um, and then the forearmed emperor is basically a free warlord trait because you spend one command point to get it, but then it gives you D three command points. So I always take that one. And I only get two in my list, so those are my two. Um, I always forget the reroll that you get from that. I don't know. <laughs> See, I use it on my Kellenmorph. Like if I have a, a random Kellenmorph, you get him reroll the hit in there. Oh man, it feels great. <laughs> really smart. <laughs> yeah, I always forget about it. I'm like, oh, shit, I had a reroll. Because uh, oh, yeah. there's like no important single roll that Gene Sear Cult have aside from charges where it doesn't help. Exactly. It's uh, it's but Kellenmorph. That's where it's at. Yeah, that's big. Uh, smart. I'm gonna start you doing that. 
Um, and then so the, one thing, one thing. Uh, sorry, Frankie, I didn't mean to interrupt, but can you maybe explain how the Fearless Bubble works for our newer players? Um, because you only have to have like one bike out of the unit within nine inches, right? And they can be spread out all across the board, for example. Yeah, yeah. So the um, so the way it works, it's uh, what living idle. So. Uh, Colt and Brood Brother units automatically pass morale tests whilst they're within six inches of a friendly patriarch. Uh, since it's within, it just means that any model within six inches from that unit counts the whole unit as being there. So, um, as you'll see, we you call it the what tentacle deployment or the octopus or whatever. You'll see a lot of Gene Steer Colt with their patriarch in the center, and then all these like little lines going off um, to get the fearless bubbles which are huge. And uh, a lot of the, there, there's some cool strategies you can do with that. Cause like if you're playing somebody and they charge your bikes um, and they're able to surround one of your bikes, you're like, okay. And as you're pulling casualties, you actually pull models that give you the fearless. And then once they try point, you lose a model, you pull the guy that just got try pointed. Now you can move away. And try pointing is a tactic used to pretty much universally among all top tournament players where if you can prevent a model that doesn't have fly from falling back by using three bases of yours, three models of yours, uh, to surround it, geometrically it can't physically move without going through one of your models, so that's just not allowed. So you can prevent units from falling back altogether with that. Um, yep. So what Frankie was just describing was when his bikes get tri-pointed, um, yeah, yeah, you can... Because a lot of yeah. people go, they're fearless, right? And you're like, yeah. And then they're like, okay. And then you can see them starting to move for like a try point. You're like, okay. And then they do their attacks and you start pulling models. And then you're like, oh, I'm not fearless anymore. <laughs> he dies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, that's a high level. Uh, yeah, those are some very high level plays. Uh, plays that people will do. Um, so watch that when you're playing the Gene Steer Colt so that you don't get try pointed. Um, another thing that you can do, not with the bike unit, but if you have an infantry unit, deploy it on the bottom floor of a ruin they can't actually surround you because you can just go up. Oh, I never thought of that. That's really cool. Yeah, it happens to me all the time, and I always kick myself. <laughs> One of my teammates does it to me all the time. He's like, he's like, well, he's, he's surrounded by a character. That's really good. I'm going to go up a floor. I was like, ah, yeah. yeah. Every that, that happened to me at LVO this year. I was, uh, I was playing orcs against four Castellan robots and an Agnek army with Call. So that's like 10 million yeah. shots. And he had some rangers underneath a ruin. And I fell for this like efficient <laughs> oh. bait. And I hugged, hugged the rangers, 40 orcs. I was like, well, this game's over. What is he going to do? He goes right upstairs, shoots 40 orcs <laughs> off the board. Like, well, he's going to do like, that. Oh, that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, so that's definitely something to watch out there for. Yeah, yeah, there, um, that's that's worth the price of admission for the podcast right there. That tip, yeah, for sure, it's huge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, this is some quality stuff we're going through. Um, so Frankie, aside from custodies, are there any other matchups that trouble you, or anything that you do specifically to counter other armies like Eldar flyers, Lord Discos, or anything else in the meta? Yeah, so Eldar Flyers is another one of those ones that you'll hear, hear a lot of uh, Gene Steer Colt players go, man, I hate that matchup. It's really hard. I don't know what to do. Um, so Boots on the Ground is always an option. Um, what that means is if you're able to kill all of the units that aren't Flyer type, um, the, they get tabled and they lose. Um, so that's something that you can always go for. A lot of Eldar Flyer players are smart, though, and they won't. 
they won't make it very easy for you. They'll have tougher units or they'll hide units or put them up on buildings so you can't charge them. Um, so that's a, that's a tough matchup. In that matchup, you want to really, if you're going to try to boots them on the ground, uh, go for a turn two tabling because a lot of those players will put something into deep strike. Um, it gives you enough time to get up the table. You can bring in all of your assault units, all of your shooting units, and just try to kill whatever's on the ground um, before the reserves come in. Um, and most people aren't prepared for losing all those units on turn two um, because they're not used to people having that many reserves coming in on turn two, which Gene Slayer Colt do a great job of doing. And then the bikes are so fast that they feel like another deep striking unit. Now, um, Frankie, would you would you yeah. describe that strategy as one that if it's open, you would take it, but the good players probably aren't going to leave that open for you. Yeah, so it's with all our flyers, it's really hard not to leave it open. Like a lot of times, you're going to have that opportunity, um, as long as you've been able to pick away at other units on that turn one. Um, but if if you're playing somebody that's really smart, they're like castled up, you're never going to get there. Then yeah, definitely don't go for that. Um, again, you're going to go for those objectives. You're not going to be getting a lot of kills. So you're going to have to be denying those secondaries, grabbing objectives, grabbing the bonus point. The bonus point in that matchup is going to be huge because uh, without getting the kill, you're going to be losing out on two points a turn. So uh, definitely get the bonus point as soon and as frequent as you can. Is that a, a match where you would probably not pick Big Game Hunter despite there's like seven or eight flyers on the table uh, in favor for all the normal just stand here kind of secondaries? Yeah, definitely. Uh, recon, still automatic. Behind enemy lines is pretty good in that matchup because they're going to be wanting to stay away from your units uh, with their guys that are on the ground. So you can usually deep strike into their deployment zone. Um, and then uh, I would probably say ground control is a good one. Just deep strike some units down on the last couple turns. Try to go second in that matchup. Um, so then you can deep strike down uh, on the last turn and grab those objectives. And but then, yeah, I wouldn't go after Big Game Hunter because you're really not going to be killing that many flyers unless you're Kelomorphscope crazy. Awesome. Um, what about uh, Orcs or Chaos? Anything clever you do in those matches, or is it pretty straightforward? Um, those ones are pretty straightforward. Chaos uh, depends, again, on what they have. Uh, if they're like a, a psychic spam list where they're going to be doing a lot of mortal wounds, probably wouldn't screen with the bikes because that'll just tear them up. So screen with those brood brothers um then use the shotguns to clear out the screens uh against orcs orcs is a tricky one because they're a close combat army that also shoots pretty well um although i've seen a lot of orc players going away from ludas ludas hurt my list a lot because they ignore the minus one that the bikes have and they do two damage you got the good six thing up is feel no pain. <laughs> yeah you have the six up feel no pain and you have a four up save versus it which goes to a five up because it's ap1 but um yeah, the four does help a lot. So it's not the worst matchup, but yeah. Against that, uh, you don't use the bikes to screen in the orcs because they do too much damage in close combat. They'll be able to kill your uh, bikes fast. What you'll do is you'll jump up, kill their screen, because usually they're going to grot screen you. So you run up, shotgun the screen, and then use the stratagem to actually come back to your deployment zone um, to where they won't be able to charge you on turn one unless they the jump. And then you just bank on them failing the charge. Or if they make it, they'll maybe kill a bike squad and then you blast that unit off the table. Or you could even use your uh, claim of us potentially to make it so they can't really get a good deep strike spot on you. Cause they... Yeah, exactly. Like we were talking about in the uh, first episode, uh, you could summon in an extra Kelom or uh, claim of this, have two Cal or claim of this is on the table, 
and bubble out 12 inches to where they can't charge you. Well, so that's a matchup where that's probably really, really good, right? Because they do a lot of to jump. And- yeah. Yeah, a lot of orc players are going to jump on turn one. Um, in, in that case, yeah, the Clamavis would be a huge, huge uh, right. force multiplier. Being able to deny two different 24-inch diameter circles is really useful. Exactly, yeah. Uh-huh. Go ahead and do a 12-inch charge. Um, they can't even declare the charge. So I know you said against the Custodes, mind control is huge, which makes total sense because the shooting with the Caladius is, is pretty good, I hear. Um, yeah. Against Orcs or Chaos, I imagine mind control is not something that's really on your radar because they don't have single models that do tons of damage that often aren't within... Yeah. They are within an inch of their own people, so it's not even really going to work. So what powers do you go for in those matches? Yeah, those ones, uh, you'll go with like a mass hypnosis to ignore Overwatch. Um, the minus one doesn't do anything to the orcs because they don't care. Um, but the mass hypnosis is really good for the no overwatch to where your charging units can charge in and do a lot of damage to them. Also in those matchups, it's going to be key when you do your big turn of DP striking in your acolytes and charging to save your four-armed emperor stratagem to deny their interrupt. Because a lot of times what people will do is they'll charge four different units, they'll swing with one, and then their opponent will interrupt and kill like three units. You're like, oh, that was that was bad. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's key to save your forearmed emperor for when they try to interrupt you and have one of their units swing to counter that. That's um, actually they, a great point. Um, one of the things I love about the aberrants in my list is when I charge ten aberrants into thirty orcs, I just kill thirty orcs. So I don't have to worry about yeah, that. When exactly. there are multiple squads of acolytes, ten will go. They'll kill fifteen orcs. The fifteen orcs can then interrupt and kill the next ten. But with Saving your agents of Vexrajim or uh, Foreign Emperor, whatever. Um, you can get around that really easily. Yeah. So then that strategy is the one that lets you move whenever you, whenever you play it, right? So you just move out of combat? Is that how that works? No. No, no. So uh, a plan generations in the making is you counter uh, an opponent's stratagem. Oh, so, I see. So it's so it's Vex. Say they try to interrupt you with two, you just say no. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> the Gene Sealer yeah. called equivalent of Agents of Vect, which is why people call it fact yeah. okay gotcha okay cool yeah sorry uh to be here <laughs> no no worries but yeah you'll definitely want to save that up um in that matchup um but psychic powers in that matchup um like i was saying mass hypnosis is huge um uh, might from beyond is big getting the plus one strength on those bikes um plus the attack is huge um those would probably be the two main ones that you would go after um, psychic stimulus is good too. It's where you can advance and still charge. It's one of my favorite powers in Gene Steeler Cult. Yeah. Um, are you? Uh, are there any relics you buy in those matches? Chaos or Eldar or Orcs? Yeah. So in the Eldar one, uh, I take the relic sniper. Uh, so you get plus two to wound versus anything that's not a vehicle or a Titanic. Um, just plucking away at those Chaos characters is huge, and you could get lucky and kill. Uh, like a sorcerer or something like that. Um, if you get the mortal wound, they fail their save, you do three damage. It's not going to happen very often, but when it does, it's awesome. Um, so definitely take that. Uh, the pistol's pretty good on a Kelomorph too, getting the extra shot and then the rerolls to wound. Um, or rerolls to, yeah, wound the characters is huge. Um, orcs are very character dependent, as is Chaos, so that'll help out a ton. Yeah. And then the. Your characters are really squishy. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then I would either go with the Ignore Overwatch stratagem, which is really good, or uh, the plus one strength banner. So 
those two are very strong in those matchups. Mm-hmm. That does lead me to a question. Let's say you're playing against orcs. Um, which characters do you prioritize to kill first? Um, against orcs, uh, I would probably go after the weird boys first if you could. Um, if you can take away the jump, it's huge, especially if you have a unit that could get into range of the Ludas and tie them up. Um, yeah. So I would go after that, um, or a war boss. War bosses are big. One of the if you things, kill a war boss, it's bad. One of the things we've kind of touched on a lot in this episode with Gene Cult is how powerful it is to deep strike in the late game with Kalimorphs yeah. or just units to get points. Um, orcs having jump... It's essentially the same thing on like turn five or turn six. So if you yep. can snipe that out early, it's a great way to beat orcs. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it's huge. Um, but yeah, I would, I would definitely go after the weird boys if you can. If not, um, the five up invo save is a big one. If you can kill that, the orcs will go down a lot faster. So here's always uh, something I personally struggle with, even still with my gene stealer cult. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it um, as well. With, when you have like a Kellenmorph, and obviously he's very good at coming in and blowing up a bunch of characters and doing his thing, you could spend a lot of CP trying to do that. You could show up three inches away for two CP with lying in wait, and then shoot twice with perfect ambush to shoot for another three CP. So a total of five CP to shoot your Kellenmorph twice into characters. What kind of value are you looking to get out of that where you deem it worth it? Um, knowing that full well he could also just whiff and not do anything here. Um, yeah, I, um, and do you ever I never, make those plays? I never bank on that. Um, so I've I've actually never made a Kellamore shoot twice um, in the matchup versus the Eldar Flyers, where I was trying to uh, um, boots on the ground. Uh, Matt Shuckman, I did come within two inches twice with a Kellamore, or uh, three inches with a Kellamore, um, just so that I could snipe out those characters because he was uh, screening with his flyers. Yeah, um, but most of the time I wouldn't spend the extra three CP to uh, shoot again, um, just because you're gonna need it on those charging units. Yeah, is that because you actually used it that same turn on a charging unit, or just that you foresaw that you could potentially use it on later on? Just foresaw that I needed it later, or I needed to put another unit into reserve later, or something like that. Yeah. So I knew that the stratagem, uh, stratagem points would be very important come late game. So. I wouldn't bank on doing it. Um, it's not a bad play, don't get me wrong. Like if you do come in, shooting a Kellermorph twice uh, is pretty nasty, um, especially versus Chaos, because you can kill a couple characters or kill a main character. Um, yeah. But like you said, there are going to be those games where you come in and do absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. um, when I first started Genestar Cult, I was... I was all about this Kellenmore train. I was coming in shooting twice, and it was glorious. And the more yeah. and more reps I have with Gene Cult, the less I go for that play. So I definitely know where oh, I'm yeah, coming from. Like, usually each Kellenmorph will have one or two turns where they really don't do that much. So spending those extra three command points on it and banking on it doing really well, I, I just wouldn't do it. Yeah. I'd, I'd be more inclined to spend those three command points to make a Acolyte squad move D6 inches closer and charge and actually kill something. Yeah. It's one thing if your Kellamorph whiffs, um, but it's another thing if your Acolytes fail a charge. That's Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, because then they're just dead. Then they're just dead <laughs> and you've not done anything. Yep. <laughs> um, no, it's great insights. So I guess um, I'm, we should probably talk about the Knights matchup, yeah. since I think with Chaos Knights coming in, we're probably going to see a lot of them, and then obviously Imperial Knights are very popular. Yep. Yeah, I'd say, uh, so 
one of the guys on my team, Junior, who uh, Nick played against, he plays a lot of knights. So he, uh, he has a Valiant, which I think he's one of the only people that is running a Valiant with uh, Hawk Shroud. Um, I appreciated that Valiant. <laughs> yeah, they overwatch you when you charge them. So you charge one of his guard squads or one of his other knights, he overwatches with his Valiant to do damage to you, which is nasty. And then on top of that, he gets to... Heroically intervene 2d6 inches. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that was part of the strat when I played him. So <laughs> yeah. he uh, he inter- he used the strat on his Gatling Knight because the other one I cast Mass Hypnosis on so I couldn't overwatch yeah. his Valiant. Um, so I thought I was being clever. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to charge your, your Gallant here. And he's like, okay, I'm going to use the strat on my Gatling Cannon Morgan. And I was yep. like, sure, whatever. You've hit twice and kill like an Acolyte. That's cool. And yeah. then... He moves and intervenes on me. Like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> yeah, like, wait, wait a minute. You can do that? You're like, yep. <laughs> like, oh, cool. Yeah. No, it's uh, – so I, I do play against that. In, in that matchup, it's really hard because, oh, those knights overwatching and then coming in and doing more damage is brutal. That's a, that's a tough matchup. That's one of those ones where you're going to have to be killing those guard squads left and right just to get those uh, points. And then, uh, like Nick said, casting Mass Hypnosis on one of the knights is huge, but then you have to charge the other one with the you no know, Overwatch or something like that, so that he's not doing these Overwatch tricks on you, or Forearmed Emperor the Stratagem, uh, so that he can't actually uh, heroically intervene and shoot you. Um, but yeah, in that matchup, you're going you're gonna to need to kill the screens and then get some key charges off on those knights and wipe them out. Uh, definitely go after the Valiant if you're playing a Valiant. Uh, they do so much damage. Um, they're one of the key knights in those lists. Um, and Chaos Knights, uh, they're definitely going to throw a wrench into uh, Dean Steric Ult Armies. Um, being able to take the double Gatling Cannon is going to be very scary, especially since they're able to get so many attacks, too. Like, their Crusaders they're with the yeah. double Gatling Cannon have like more kick attacks than a Gallant. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and they have a. There's a relic you can take to make it so you can only wound it on four best, which uh, exactly. usually doesn't come into play on a T8 knight. But against Roxas with uh, the strat for plus one to wound, yep, that's big. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. So the the chaos knights are going to be very difficult. That's going to be a hard matchup. Um, I suppose the uh, the relic to ignore the minus one on the bikes with the Gatling cannons and the two damage is also probably going to be pretty bad for all those bikes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely bad and. Uh, if people are taking multiple nights of the Gatling cannons, it's going to be bad days for those bikes. Um, again, it's going to be one of those that depends on what kind of screens they have. Can you get through their screen? Will you be able to get some charges off on those nights? Um, I've played against Chaos Knights uh, twice so far. Um, the first game, I was able to wipe them out pretty quick. But then the second game, I missed some key charges and uh, went so went down. While we're on Chaos, one of the things that I find in Circle are not effective at killing at all uh, are Plague Bears with the minus two to hit and potentially the plus one invul strat. Um, and a lot of Gene Circle players, myself included, I run the Flamer Bomb specifically to help with Plague Bears in addition to other stuff, but really helps with Plague Bears. Since you're opting out of that, how do you find Plague Bears? Um, so I, I was worried about Plague Bears, but I played against them uh, twice at ATC. Yeah. And uh, I was able to kill 60 Plague Bears in one turn in both games. So... It's, You're gonna have to teach me how to. Do yeah, that. <laughs> I don't know how it happened, but uh, it was pretty nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I got lucky, and the first game I got really lucky. I was able to snipe out the character that was giving the uh, plus one to the mi- or the minus one to hit. So then at that point, they're only minus one to hit, 
Um, and then you're able to, uh, whittle them down in any way that you can with your bikes and all that stuff. And then your acolytes swing and are able to do more damage. Luckily the acolytes have plus one to hit. So the plus one minus one cancel out reroll ones to hit huge. Um, if the unit has minus two to hit, it's definitely going to be harder to go through. But at that point you put more acolyte squads into it. So maybe put three of the acolyte squads into it rather than just one or two. Um, and you're able to do a lot of damage and get it through and kill them. But again, it depends on what they roll, all that stuff. Um, try to forearmed emperor their four up invo save. Uh, I was about to ask if you one. do that. Yeah, yeah. Because once they get the four up invo save, you're probably not going to kill that unit. <laughs> but yeah. if you get them down below to where they're not minus one to hit anymore going forward, you'll be able to chew them up pretty quick. Yeah, for sure. So I just thought of something. I'm thinking about how you're sort of describing how you play. And what I'm trying to wrap my mind around, and I don't know if you can help me with this, is how often are you like sort of going for a huge alpha by bringing a lot of stuff in versus how often are you playing a more measured game? Because I've watched a lot of Gene Sterler Cult games with like Nick playing, and he plays a very measured like, you know, crash in with something, mm -hmm. kill something, and then maybe wait another turn to, to make more opportunities to come in with other stuff. But what I'm hearing from you is it kind of sounds like in some matchups, you're like bringing everything in and just smashing face, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. There are definitely a lot more matchups with my list where I'm deep striking in like all of my acolytes. They're all coming in at one turn. They're all doing their charges, doing a lot of damage. The cool thing with doing that too is now it's a threat overload. Um, now you have four, 40 acolytes plus whatever's left of your bikes plus two patriarchs all in your face, two Kellermorphs too. Um, it's it's like a threat overload to where people are like, oh man, I don't know what I shoot at. I don't know what I'm going to charge. Um, and then in those matchups too, it's key that you're doing some try points like we were talking about earlier. Surrounding infantry units if you can. Uh, surrounding vehicles is really good too. Um, a cool strategy is to surround a vehicle and then on your next turn, mind control it and shoot it out. Because <laughs> that's wow. one of your models. That's really clever. <laughs> yeah. I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and the, uh, I do go for a lot of alpha strikes, but there are those matchups too where you're just all about trying to survive and make it to where you still have models on the table at the end of the game. So in those ones, you'll be deep striking units up until turn six. I think that's also a byproduct of the different styles. When you're going for the, the foreign Emperor Brood Search Deliverance combo to get the seven-inch rollable charges, you're going to design a list that makes use of the seven entry rollable charges. So you're gonna have multiple units coming in like that. Whereas uh, my list with aberrants and stuff isn't going down the, the form Emperor hole. So if yeah. I'm charging a deep strike, I'm either trying to roll a nine or I'm gonna perfect ambush. And you can only perfect ambush one unit at a time. Yep. Um, since obviously the nine is super unreliable. So I'm gonna very calculatedly bring one unit in, perfect ambush it, make it do its work. Yep. Yep. Let it, whatever happens to it, happens to it. But Frankie and I play very different armies in that respect, which is pretty cool. It's just a testament to how versatile Gene Steer Cult is, that we have such vastly different styles, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I've seen people take mixes, too, where they're running the all the bikes and aberrants. Um, there, there's so many different ways to play it, which is cool. Um, but, yeah, with, with all those points going into me getting a 7-inch reroll uh, charge and the plus one to hit and all that other jazz... Um, a lot of times I'm going with the alpha strike and dropping in all four units at the same time. Um, but I think that strategy will change now that I've switched to one 20 man unit of acolytes 
to where I'll just drop them in with the character support. And then on the next couple turns, I'll bring in another 10 man here or there. Interesting. Did you find the 10 man's ever struggled dealing with uh, just like too, losing too much on Overwatch? Or like if you're trying to charge two different tanks that were like nine, 10 inches apart from each other so you can kill both with the saws, did you find that you couldn't make that connection with your coherency after you lose like three or four guys on the Overwatch? Was that ever an issue? I, I saw it happen one time with <laughs> this guy shot and killed four acolytes. I was like, well. <laughs> That changes a lot of plans. <laughs> uh, but that's why a lot of times I would deep strike two or three units at the yeah. same time. Because then you're like, okay, well, now I now I can adapt to that. You just did that. So now I'll charge yeah. here. The other unit's only going to charge that tank. This one will charge over there. I see a um, lot of players giving themselves like a 15-man with four saws just to, I guess, give them a little bit of a buffer in that aspect. Um, yeah, and the, the, the buffer's cool, but a lot of the things you're going after – you really only need the four rock saws to actually kill something. So a lot of times it doesn't really matter how much they're killing because in most cases you're going to have the four rock saws plus your banner still alive. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's all I really needed. Um, Granted, in the the game where I played the Chaos Knights, I made all my charges with my Acolytes and I didn't kill three characters. And I was like, well, I wasn't planning for that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but it, it happens every once in a while where you'll bounce off, but there's, yeah, you can't, no, you can't just, plan for that. I mean, you're hitting on 2-0, you're only wounding on 2-0, uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> definitely. Um, but I, I, I do like the bigger, the 20-man unit now, because that unit can actually go after a knight by itself and kill it, rather than you having to put two units on it, um, just to guarantee that it's going to die. And that unit can charge something else along with the knight. Whereas the 10 man units, you can only charge the knight because they only do like enough damage to kill it. So, Yeah. Also, I imagine that 20 man unit's a little more resilient to hot dice on your opponent's part, right? In the overwatch part of it. So oh, what was that? Sorry. It's, it's just more resilient to hot dice on overwatch. So if somebody, yeah, somebody yeah. spikes some sixes, right? Like they can hurt that 10 man pretty good and really reduce its effectiveness. But, that 20 man, those eight rock saws are probably getting there. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, not to mention, like, everything else goes a lot farther on that 20 man. Like, perfect ambush goes a lot farther. Now you have 20 guys opposed to 10. Uh, the um, what might from beyond goes a lot farther. Now, plus one strength and plus one attack on 20 guys rather than 10. Um, it just gives you a lot more options. Uh, do you ever find that your opponent can screen out a 10-man from being able to charge anything useful? Because you can still only declare a charge on units that are within 12 of you, and you show up 9 away, granted you could perfect ambush, but still not that hard for someone to screen you out completely. I see, It happened to me a couple times, um, but once I started putting uh, the Acolyte squads into reserve on turn 1 to where they can come in at any point, yeah. it hasn't happened since then. Um, also the bikes help to clear out those screens paired up with the Kellomorphs to where people don't usually have that much left come turn three or four to screen out. Yeah. So you're able to get off some key charges. So you kind of use that unit more as like a, a finisher move, like bring this guy in, bring these 20 guys in and the game kind of ends sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking with the 20 man unit. I haven't put it in uh, play yet. I just, after going to ATC, I, I figured having the 20 man unit with the psychic power and using the stratagem on it would be a lot better than doing it on a 10 man. So, which I mean, it's what hundred percent more models. So yeah. <laughs> 200% effectiveness. That's <laughs> not too hard, but yeah, I think that's a lot better. <laughs> uh, Cause I did have some matchups where I was charging into grotesques and uh, like not doing anything or charging into uh, 
uh, Warlock Conclave. And since I charged with three different units, it wasn't as effective because I wasn't able to swing with all my models. Whereas if I just charge with one 20-man unit, it's a lot easier to get all 20 of those guys swinging than it is to get three or four units swinging at the yeah. same time. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. That makes total sense, right? Because you, the 20-man unit, they all basically they pile all in, attack pile off in. each other, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know your list is actually kind of going away from the reliance on seven-year-old bulls, but in the past it has been very reliant on it. Um, do you ever have those games where you just fail a bunch of seven-inch reroll bulls, and then generally that means acolytes are just sitting there waiting to get shot in the face? Oh, yeah. How do you recoup from that? Yeah, day two of uh, ATC, I failed seven charges in a row. Oh, my I was God. Like, oh, this is really good. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I built this army to make charges. What's going on? Um, about... Once that happens, you... You lose all your close combat units because your opponents are going to kill those acolytes because they know how much damage they do. Um, it really comes up to the patriarchs pulling through at that point, paired up with the Kelomorphs. Your character support comes into play if you lose your close combat units because um, the patriarchs, man, oh, monsters. <laughs> they were MVPs. Yeah, <laughs> they were MVPs at ATC. They picked I up a lot lists of with three patriarchs just because they're that good. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I saw one of your lists that you went to a tournament, and I was like, Nick took three Patriarchs. What is, what is that? Uh, but yeah, <laughs> after power. playing more and more games with them, I was like, oh my god, these guys are amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, then paired up with the Kelomars, you have to they have to pick up a lot of slack. And you start getting a lot more, uh, a, a lot more uh, conservative with your movements. So rather than charging your bikes up the table, now you're like, well, it's Operation Stay Alive at this point. So you start playing back surrounding units that you're going to charge with your patriarchs so that your patriarchs don't get shot um stuff like that okay so. so we haven't talked about tau yet i feel like that's probably worthy of a discussion because they're sort of cropping up everywhere yeah tau is uh, one of those armies that um they crush close combat armies just because you you're getting shot the entire game and then you charge them and it's another shooting phase and you're like cool come on in <laughs> and especially for a little 10-man unit of acolytes like they're just dead <laughs> like, they're not going to survive any kind of overwatch you might be able to get one rocks on there that's not going to do any damage get bounced by a drone <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly you're like i got a rock side he's like well my drone ate it you're like oh man all right well that was fun um so yeah in that matchup you're going to be playing a more defensive game um, like we were talking about in uh, uh, part one, um, taking the plus one strength banner for your rusted claw units in that matchup is huge because now your bikes that move 14 inches can soak up an overwatch shot, charge in, and kill a bunch of drones. If you can kill the drones, you can deny two units of overwatch with the psychic power and then also the relic to ignore overwatch. If you're able to get into like the broadsides and a riptide, now your close combat units will probably survive an overwatch. But yeah, it's going to be a tough matchup. Yeah, uh, I think one thing people don't realize when they're playing against Tau is that even if you can't feasibly kill the Riptides, because for Jeans they're called, you, if you're killing the Riptides, you're tabling Tau, just because you have to go through all the drones and support first. and You have to kill a Tau and then have enough to survive the overwatch. It's very difficult. Um, but if you kill all the drones and all the other support stuff in the Tau army, generally speaking, that's also the stuff that they use to play the mission. So you may end up getting yourself nearly tabled by Tau and still beating them just because you controlled the table the entire time. Yeah, exactly. And the, the all-bike Genius uh, Cult army controls the table so well that you're able to kill all those drones pretty fast, and then you can just play the objective game, 
deny him secondaries where you can. Um, if you're, if you are able to set yourself up to where you can charge into the broadsides to ignore their overwatch, make a riptide, not overwatch, then yeah, maybe you go for the kill, um, deep strike down those acolytes and try to kill a riptide. But, um, it's just, it's so hard to do, um, especially with all the drones and however many units they have to overwatch, like the fire warriors shooting is nothing to just brush off. Um, it's one of those games where you're not going to bank on killing their heavy hitters. You're just going to bank on killing their board control units and hope that your unit you have enough units to grab objectives and stuff like that. The cool thing about the bikes too is the minus one to hit is one of the things that Tau struggle against. So that helps out a ton. Also being toughness four on the bikes is huge because a lot of their shooting is only strength seven. Yeah, they don't, Tau don't really have strength eight aside from hammerheads. That's a great point. Yep. Um, exactly. What secondaries do you go for against Tau? Uh, Tau, again, it's recon. You're going recon every time. Um, I think you, you sold me on going on uh, on control and trying to deep track a couple units. I wish that so conversation was in the recorded part of this episode. I know. It's <laughs> really good. <laughs> I, guess I was we, like, man, I never thought about that. That's really smart. Um, but yeah, I would go with that. And then it depends on – the last one really depends on what you're playing against. Um, sometimes you can go after Butcher's Bill, like if you're, uh, uh, Richard Siegler, he plays a lot of drone, like two man drone units. Yeah. Uh, you go after Butcher's Bill. Cause I mean, the drones are really easy to kill. You can pick those up super easily, or you go after a, uh, um, you definitely don't go engineers. Uh, you could maybe do a pick your poison depending on what they're playing. but That's a secondary. I don't even know how I've read it 55 times and I still <laughs> don't know how it works. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you have to nominate uh, four keywords, so like Psyker, Fly, uh, Biker, Vehicle, Monster, Titanic, um, and then you get a point for each one that you kill. So, I like it better not knowing. Uh, Tau, Tau isn't the best. Tau is not the best one to pick that one against, but you could do it depending on what their list is. If they have like the the one random tank, like Long Strike or something, yeah. so you could get Vehicle off it and then Fly super easy against Tau, I could see it. Yeah, yeah. It's not definitely not ideal. Um and then again, it depends on what their list is, but you could go after a headhunter. Um, a lot of Tau armies have a lot of characters with their marker lights. Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose the Kelomorph's probably really good at killing a lot of those guys, huh? Oh, yeah. The Kelomorph is like the best character killer in the game. Yeah. <laughs> so cheap. If you can get through the drones so they can't chuck the wounds off, he'll pick up two characters, yep. no problem. Of Like the, oh, the yeah. Tau ones that are toughness three and squishy. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, toughness three characters are like his ideal target. So is there any psychic powers that you're really uh, going for? Obviously, the mass hypnosis seems like a no-brainer, right? Yeah, mass hypnosis is key in that game, as is uh, might from beyond. Um, you'll need both those ones. Do you value mind control at all? Uh, or do you think that it's too hard to actually get off against Tau because they're all next to each other? I think it'd be difficult. Uh, your patriarchs probably aren't going to get within 12 inches of the units that you want to shoot with. Um the yeah. 36 inches from the Tau shooting will most likely keep them away. A lot of Tau armies will be running away from you as you're trying to get close, so um, they'll stay away from that one. Um, you can always put it on, especially with the guy that takes the familiar. Um, or the, uh, what is it, the crotchling? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. especially put it on for that guy because you get three powers anyways. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, you could even go after Mental Onslaught. It's not, it's not terrible. Do some Mortal Wounds. Um, the cool thing about the Tau Lookout Sir is they can't look out Sir second power right. mortal wounds. So um, mm-hmm. you could do some wounds to a Riptide if you're able to degrade it. You can get lucky and snipe a commander too. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. One thing I really like with mind control uh, is, you know, as people have armies and they're aware of it in the beginning portions of the game, it's really easy to keep your riptide or whatever within one inch of a drone. That way I can't mind control you successfully. Yeah. Um, but as the game goes on, people it slips people's minds, like turn three, turn four, oh, yeah. and people have less stuff, so it's just harder to stay within an inch of each other naturally. Yep. So turn four mind control is very real, I found. Yeah. Even no, against great players. That's huge. I, a lot of times I'll actually use that psychic power as a deterrent for people to start separating their army so they keep it together. I'm like, don't forget, yeah. I have mind control. So then they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. So they'll put, like, two vehicles next to each other or something. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Acolytes charge. <laughs> just, just to make uh, sure I understand, the reason why they're bunching up is because once you take my, once you mind control something, it becomes your unit, and then it's within correct. an inch of another unit. Therefore, it can't shoot, right? It's exactly. It can do one, yeah. one single close combat attack, which is really not good. <laughs> Right. Yeah, Junior got me with that when we played uh, at ATC. I mind controlled the Wyvern on like turn five, and I was like, "Finally, I can do this!" And then like there was a company commander behind it, which I like physically couldn't see, and I was like, "Like jerk, <laughs> stealing my glory." Well, here, take yeah. this tank attack. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Is there is there other matchups that we haven't covered? I mean, we talked about flyers. We talked about chaos and orcs and tau. And knights. I think honestly, like the only other matchup that's out there is like the repulsor list, but that's not a bad matchup for Gene Star Cult because it doesn't have long range. Um, yeah. So you're able to get up in their face. Um, and there's no indirect fire, so you can just hide. Exactly. And there's not a lot of screens in that list. Um, I've seen some people take the what the infiltrators or what are the guys that deny the deep strike? That's infiltrators. Yeah. So I see people do that, but luckily the bikes counter that along with the patriarchs. So. I had uh, one high-level question I wanted to ask you, Frankie. Um, I know you mentioned in part one that using the blips and stuff is something you should focus on when you've kind of mastered the game and you're really getting the, the top levels of Gene Stealer Cult. Could you share some blip tactics that you use in some of your games? Yeah, some, uh, some cool ones. Uh, so the blips, in case anybody doesn't know, it's when you deploy a unit in Cult Ambush. Um, the way it works is you put down a little marker um, on your top of turn one or if your opponent goes first at the end of their movement phase you have to deploy all of your units that are in the blips um, now there's some cool stratagems that they have they have a stratagem that allows you to move three blips 12 inches the blips all have to stay in your deployment zone but what that does is it allows you to maybe show your opponent like i'm going to go on this flank and then once your opponent deploys on the other flank like, okay, now I'm going to move those blips 12 inches this way, um, which is a huge move. Uh, Eldar players do it with um, redeploying, I think they get three units too, yeah. yeah. Um, so that one's big. And then the other one, I believe it's Return to the Shadows. Is that the one where you can put the blips back into reserve? I think so. Yeah, yeah we talked about that one. Um, that one is probably one of the most... Like beneficial stratagems that the Gene Circle Codex has is you have those three units deployed on the table. Now you put them back into reserve and they can come in like turn six or anything like that. Uh, another key thing with the whips is you put them all down, you tell your opponent what is in Colt Ambush, but it doesn't matter where those whips are because you can put whatever unit you want into those whips when you deploy them. So that's another big one. Say somebody's gearing up for a turn one charge and you don't want your characters to get charged or whatever put a 
brood brother squad in front. Cool. Yeah, you can charge that unit. Here you go. Um, so it's really cool because you get to uh, react to what your opponent does, either on their first movement phase or during their deployment. Um, so it's it's one of those things that it really helps out a top tier player because you're able to see what your opponent's doing before they know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. One thing I also really love to do with blips is uh, oftentimes in ITC tournaments or other just tournaments in general, there's a there's a corner ruin that you probably have access to or a large hill or something that blocks a little line of sight from certain angles in your deployment zone. But if you're playing against like flyer spam or something really fast and shoots a lot, vultures, Eldar, really those come to mind, but lots of things. Um, they could fly up just get on top of your hill or like poke their nose through your ruin window and just see into it and just start blasting you when you think you should be safe. Um, there's a rule that says you cannot, if an enemy's going first, he cannot come within nine inches of a blip. Yeah. So one thing I'll do is I'll line the outskirts of my deployment zone with four blips and put everything I care about behind this magical ruin I have. Yep. And then I'll return to the shadows three of those units, and I'll use my nexus, which is this part of his rule that no one remembers, is when he shows up, you can move a blip. Move another one, yeah. So, So I'll put three units back in reserve with return to the shadows, move that fourth blip with the nexus back behind the wall, and I do that all after my opponent has finished his movement phase. It's the very last thing that happens. So he's basically stuck on his half of the table, no line of sight to anything. I deny the kill on turn one, potentially deny an old school point for first strike, and I've not lost a model. It's just a great spot to be in defensively against a flyer army. Yeah, no, that's huge. That's the key point that I forgot to mention. I'm glad you brought it up. Is your opponent not being able to come within nine inches of those blips is huge, especially for like an assault army, like the um, like a uh, what is it, the like disco lords or something yeah, like that. Lord Discordance, you know, you're not coming within nine on turn one. Good luck. Yeah, <laughs> that's huge. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, that's where a lot of the skill comes into with Gene Circle is during deployment because there's so many little tricky things you can do. Um, like Nick was saying, keep the flyers away from you so that your characters can't be assassinated or what have you. Um, hide in buildings where your opponent thought he was going to be able to shoot a unit, but now he can't because he moved your unit into a building. Um, it's just huge. So. Uh, is there anything else you guys think we should talk about? There, uh, There is... I did have one question, one final question, and that is, um, I think one of the most overwhelming things for Gene Stealer Cult is how do you budget your stratagem points or your uh, command points, I guess is what they're called. Yeah. Um, because you have so many options and so many ways to spend them. Uh, it's easy to like, you know, be like a guy making it rain at a, at a club or whatever. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. Yeah. They can uh, spend them quickly. Like we were talking about in, uh, uh, part one, like the, the demolition bike squad can spend like seven command points. I think it's even more than that. It's like eight in a turn or something like that. So it's uh, being very cautious on what you use your command points is huge for Gene Circle. You know, oh, I rolled a one on my sniper rifle. Maybe you don't use that command point to reroll it because you want to put somebody back into the shadows or whatever on turn uh, four or five. Um, so it's it's... It all depends on how the game's going, of course, what you're going to be spending your command points on. You know, you failed a 7-inch charge, but you rolled a, a, a 5 and a 1. Okay, maybe I will use the command point to reroll that 1 because I really need this charge because I failed two other charges. Um, it's it, it all depends on how the game's going. Uh, but I most of the time you're going to be using it on... Uh, uh, perfect ambush to go d6 inches closer you're going to be doing that at least once or twice 
per game. Um, so come turn two or three, you look at your command points, and now you start deciding what you're going to use going on uh, for the rest of the game. Um, like, okay, maybe I won't use Perfect Ambush now because I really need those three to deny uh, uh, a cultist unit respawning on the table or uh, for your four-armed emperor strategy. Um, it, it, so come turn two, whenever you're going to do your alpha strike or uh, your beta strike or whatever, um, it's important to look at your command points and decide what stratagems you're going to use for the rest of the game. Because um, I've seen people, like you said, just make it rain. You know, they're like, "I'm going to do this. I'm going to have my Kellamorph come within three inches, shoot twice. Then I'm going to deep strike these uh, demolition charges. Do another eight command points. Oh, I'm out of command points. Okay, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they're all gone. Um, and that's another thing. Gene Slayer Colt won as many command points as possible. So taking three battalions is uh, pretty good. Do you guys find that the threat of command points has tremendous value? So saving them for late game also just forces your opponent to play in a certain way? Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Like uh, using that uh, uh, plan generations in the making stratagem as more of a threat rather than you actually using it is huge. Yeah. Your opponent won't bank on using a stratagem. And then when you let it go through, it completely changes the way they were going to play the rest of their game. So, Or like they'll get it in their head that you're going to stop this one stratagem and we're like, I don't care. Yeah, like, they don't even drop. Yeah. Yeah, they don't even know what to do. But um, for just generally, like assault armies, having like two or three CP in the back, three so you can always threaten to fight again type of stratagem, or two yep. so you can always threaten an interrupt stratagem. Uh, stuff like that is always very good. Yep. Um, if your army has like a powerful combo that costs like three CP, like Gene Steer Cult with Perfect Ambush, for example, saving three CP, even if you don't, like, even if you save it all the way to turn six and then end up not having anything good to use it on. It's done value by just being there, those three command points. Yeah, because your, your opponent will start screening out, well, how close can you come? Okay, so you can come in within here. All right, so I need to screen out farther or whatever. So it's changing the way that your opponent's playing their game. They're making decisions that they wouldn't normally. So it is, it's it's more of a psychological game than anything. Because um, I've, I've kept three command points just so that I could threaten to have the Foreign Emperor stratagem go off. Right. And like Nick was saying, there are plenty of people that are like, okay, well, I'm just not even going to try because I know you're just going to Foreign Emperor it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like, Perfect. and it's, of course, like, it's not just a psychological game. If they if they try to call your bluff on it, no. by all means, you have you have the three CP, go punish them for it. Exactly. Fall through. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Gene Circle is one of those codexes that really benefits from their stratagems. So having those late game stratagem points is huge for them. Very cool. Well, Frankie, was there anything else that you wanted to sort of share or tips and tricks or from a tactical perspective? I don't think so. I think we, we touched on a lot of stuff for Gene Stark Colt. Um, just honestly, like play some games with them, have fun. Uh, like we were talking about earlier, there's very few units in here that aren't worth taking. So um, put them all on the table, see what you like, see what you like best. Bridge runners. Um, try out those hand flamer units like Nick was talking about. They're amazing. Uh, try out Aberrants. They're also really good. Um, try out the bikes. The bikes are a lot of fun. They're a really fun unit. Um, and they fill a lot of those gaps that Gene Star Cult players uh, have. But, so. but not the Locust. Don't try him. Not the Locust. <laughs> let's let's stay away from that portal guy. <laughs> <laughs> at, least, at least until Chapter Approved comes out and they fix it because, you know, GSE has so many problems right now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> poor, poor guys. Definitely underpowered. You should probably, you know, lower some points here and there in Gene yeah. Star Cult. I mean, his saving grace is he has a five up in most save guys, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thanks for coming on, Frankie. I really appreciate having you. Thank you for your yeah. time. Yeah, thanks uh, for having yeah, thanks me for on, your... guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, I've been having a lot of fantastic fun. This information. Really insightful. Even I learned some stuff today. <laughs> this is pretty great. You learned some stuff. Um, is there any place that we can find you on with Frontline Gaming or anything? Yeah, just uh, check us out, frontlinegaming.org. We uh, sell all sorts of gaming goodies, uh, maths and all that stuff. We also run the Las Vegas Open quite a few other tournaments um, and run the ITC. So check us out. Yeah. You guys probably don't get enough, enough credit in general for the being in my mind, really the people that kept 40 K going when it was in a bad spot. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Like when that dark time where games workshop was radio silent to all of the community and you guys stepped up and held the torch. We really appreciate that. No, thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. And it's been a team effort, everybody in the community. And Absolutely. It's cool to be uh, seeing new podcasts like yours pop up. So best yeah, of luck, guys. Thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for being on the, yeah, thanks for being on the Frontline Network. So um, I'm just going to do some last stuff. Uh, if you guys are interested in learning more about Gene Sealer Cult or any other top-level 40K advice, uh, having your list critiqued or some coaching stuff, you can feel free to check out Knights of the Game Table Pro, which will be linked here below. Um, I teach five weekly classes in my group, one on General 40K, Imperium, Chaos, Xenos, and Eldari. I do a weekly meta-analysis, so uh, I review the past week's tournament results and review any cool lists like Frankie's. And I uh, also review any cool new releases like these Chaos Knights that just came out and show you what they mean, how to best use them, and how you can affect the meta. And finally, I do one weekly stream battle report um, where I play a game against someone competitive and we stream it. And uh, instead of just playing the game like you would watch a top tournament game, I do commentary on pretty much everything while playing so you can see exactly what I'm thinking in the moment, what my opponent's thinking in the moment, and why we're doing what we're doing. So if you want all that, check out the link below, Knights of the Game Table Pro. Awesome. And then I'll also point out that... Uh... This week, this episode is completely free, so we've released it on the Frontline Gaming Network, episode two, the tactics uh, part of the episode, but um, in the future, uh, uh, the first episode, the strategy episode, will always be free and come out on the Frontline Gaming Network, and then the tactical episode, like the one you just listened to, will be available through our Patreon, and you can find that at uh, uh, aow40k.com. So come check us out. We have a lot of cool perks for our patrons, and... Uh, we hope to provide tremendous value for our patrons as well. So, And guys, this was our pilot episode. So if there's anything that you want to see us do in the future, any critiques on the format, anything with the sound quality, just anything, any feedback you have for us whatsoever, please feel free to let us know. You can find me on Facebook, Nick Brown. You could email me at nick at knightsofthegametable.com. Um, John, how do they get in contact with you? Same thing. John Damaris on Facebook. Um, that's probably the easiest way. Okay, yeah. We're open to all critiques. We're still new at this podcast stuff, or at least I am. Um, so yeah, we're doing this for you, so hopefully you guys found it useful and enjoyed it. All right. Well, thanks, Nick. Thanks, Frankie. Uh, this was a good time. I learned a ton being a newer player, so this was really good for me. So. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys, and uh, best of luck with the rest of the episodes. If you guys need any help or anything, feel free to reach out. Um, we're more than happy to help out in any way we can. Awesome. Thank you, Frankie. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at aow40k.com. And of course, connect. connect. 
on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.